confession time. Not really a confession as much as it is just uh, letting you know, I struggled this week with this message. I just playing out, I struggled. I thought I was all set on Monday. I said, oh, I know where I'm going. I know how many verses I'm going to use. I'm going in this direction. Oops, oh, sorry. Young people, if you want to go back with Miss PJ, 7 to 12, she's got them. She's, she's gathering up the, the little sheeps back there, so that's good. But I, I struggled this week trying to, to condense, and the funny thing is I heard two messages this week. I went to Teen Challenge. I heard a friend of mine was preaching, and he did it. He did like three verses, and he kind of cut it short, and, and it, it didn't flow very good, and he was struggling. He asked me to help him with that. And then I listened to another message from a seasoned pastor whose kids launched in Dover, New Hampshire, friends of mine that go there. And I listened to his, and his was 50 minutes long, and it was rambling. And again, I, I lost it. I lost it in the middle of the message. I went back and listened again. I still lost some of the points. I never got to... to to realize the point. And so one of the struggles is sometimes is where to start and where to stop. And again, length is not always indicative of content. But anyways, all that to be said, I've kind of fell in and rested on a spot here this morning. We're not going to do all of chapter four. That was my original plan. We were going to do the whole chapter, 19 verses, get through it, next week do chapter five and, and be done with it. God put the brakes on. He said, oh, wait a minute, that's way too much and you're going to miss some things, and you're, going to, you're not going to be able to get to the points. And so I slowed it back down, and we're only going to do 11 verses this morning of chapter 4. And I'm just letting you know, sometimes it's a struggle, and sometimes it takes till Wednesday, which it did this week, where God kind of said, all right, this is where I want you to be, and this is where I want you to go. So I'm praying this morning that this message is pertinent, it also speaks to us, and still has everything that we need for the upcoming week and for the days ahead. So that's a little bit of that background. We are in still in 1 Peter. Been working through this passage for a number of weeks now. Um, as I've mentioned, Peter, um, when he writes this, is most likely writing it from prison. He's writing it from a tough turkey. He's writing to small churches that are up in now what is northern Turkey. And again, they're just small little places. But it was written to people that would normally, would they read it? They'd spend some time with it. They might read it twice, three times. And then they would pass it on to the next church. And then they would go through it. And then it would get passed on again. Again, these were small groups of people. But it's written to believers. And believers that are, it's a mixed group. Some of them are Jews that have been, come out of Jerusalem, that have been persecuted, have, have fled. And some of them are Gentiles. And they're still struggling with their history. They're struggling with their theology. Peter's visiting them. He knows them. And he's writing to encourage them. They're coming under persecution. And it's actually ramping up. First it was from the, the Jewish leaders. Now it's starting to be from Rome. Rome itself is starting to persecute them. They can lose their, not only their families, their household, their goods, but they can lose their lives. And that's how Peter writes this to them as an encouragement. And sometimes an admonishment. Sometimes there's no way of getting around. He's telling them, hey, you need to step it up. You know, salvation, he talked about in chapter 1. That's what a great gift. We, we prayed over that this morning. But then we need to live that out. We talked a little bit in chapter 2 about being living stones, right? And sometimes we need to, to get rid of some things some chip some things off. Again, that Jesus is the cornerstone, but we have a purpose as well. And we're part of that, that greater building, part of the church, part of that big building. We also looked at some of the responses. And we're gonna, probably going to hear that word a lot. Response versus react, right? 
Our responses as believers matter to God. How we respond to things. Another confession. PJ was gone this week. I watched a lot of State of the Union address. I watched a lot of the acquittal. I watched quite often the response to that. Right? You, I don't know, maybe some of you didn't watch it, but I watched a lot of it. PJ was away, and so I had a little more time. And so I watched it. everything from the arguing back and forth to the bragging to the, the, even the ripping up of things. You know, I watched it all this week. And you know what? There was a lot of responses that were not good. They were not Christian. They were, not, they were more reactions. And then as I was also watching some of those things on Facebook, yes, I'm on Facebook quite a bit. Some of you know that because you get little messages from the, me. But people were reacting from everything from the Super Bowl halftime to the politics, Republican, Democrat, acquittal, economy, debates, Iowa caucus, you name it, right? God's word over and over. How are we to respond as believers? And you know what? God's word over and over again tells us how to respond. We're not to respond the same way as the culture does. And so that's kind of the backdrop. In chapter 3, we talked about how slaves are to respond to their masters. Wives to your husband. Husbands back to your wives. Right? How we respond in the midst of suffering. And that's kind of the, the backdrop as we're getting into chapter 4 is how do we respond when we're suffering? How do we respond when we're under persecution? I'm also reading another book. It's called The Daniel Dilemma. It's by Chris Hayes. Um, I wouldn't recommend it yet. I've only read four chapters into it, so I'm, I'm a little behind in my reading schedule. But as I'm reading that book, he gives an example of when he was a young man in a warehouse. And this big guy, his name I think was Muhammad, um, saw him reading his Bible at lunchtime. And so Muhammad wasn't a believer and was making fun of him, and he actually turned around and punched him in the side of the face. And he says, hey, I know what your Bible says, it says that you have to turn the other cheek. Now, how many of you this morning, if someone come up to you and punched you on the right side of your face, you'd be willing to turn that other cheek? But Chris, in this moment, at least, and he says only in this moment, he doesn't always respond this way, but he responded by saying, okay, got himself back up, turn the other cheek. And guess what? Muhammad hit him. <laughs> he says, you can give me another cheek? But he says, through that example... Muhammad started asking questions because he says, you know what? You are a believer who believes what God's word says. Now, many of us don't have to go through that. I, I can tell you, I've never been punched. I've never had to, to, to physically turn the other cheek that way. I can't say I haven't been punched. I've been punched, but that was for other reasons, and most of the time I deserved it, but not in that manner. And so it's a great example of kind of the response versus reaction. And so that's kind of the theme here, and Peter is going to keep illustrating that how we respond is important, and not to react or overreact, because how we respond is important to God. It matters. And so we begin chapter 4, and with all that backdrop, it starts off with, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done 
with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Right? Now, I talked about getting punched in the face, and that would be pretty hard, and that would be difficult to take. Now, take that and compare it to what Christ had to go through. You say, well, there's no comparison, right? He went to, to death. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was insulted. They're like night and day in examples. But again, what was Jesus' response? Right? He willingly did it. He did the will of the Father. He did it for for us, on our behalf. Peter watched that. Peter witnessed that. So through that great appreciation for that, he, he knew what Jesus went through. In fact, Peter didn't want Jesus to go through that. In fact, remember Peter in his boldness, Mr. Man of Action, right? Took out his sword. He was ready to fight. And what did Jesus tell him to do? Put it away. It's not why he came. He didn't come to, to revolt against the Romans. He didn't come to stand up for his own beliefs or his own rights. He came to be that sacrifice for us. So this has great meaning to Peter. And again, he's reminding these followers. It's been some time now. Jesus has been resurrected. It's been some time has gone on. And, and again, Peter also knows this persecution coming. And he's preparing them. And I say that preparation is, should be still going on today. So the other thing about responding as well, right? We need to be prepared ahead of time. We need to be thinking about it ahead of time. Because on the spur of the moment, we're probably not going to respond correctly. We're going to react. So we need to be thinking about ahead. And Peter's preparing them for that. He's letting them know, hey, this is going to be coming. The same thing for us. We need to be looking forward to that. Verse 3. Again, Call to change. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Right? You were once unsaved. You were part of the culture. You were an unbeliever, and you participated in those things. But now as a believer, that's not acceptable anymore. It's not okay anymore. You've got to change. You've got to live differently. You can't be part of that anymore. It's an interesting list. And again, it's, it's involving choices. Right? Our culture would say many of those things are fine. They're perfectly within your, your rights. You can do these things. You have freedom. Right? Paul talks about our freedom, right? Not use our freedom for sin. No. It cheapens grace. So Peter says, no, you, you spent enough time doing that. You've done enough of that already. Time to move forward. Time to grow up. Time to act like believers. Here's the why. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Right? They, right, as a witness to them, if for no other reason not to do those things, as a witness to those pagans that you've changed, that your life is different. There's a reason. You know, it's part of your testimony. That being that example, being different, standing out, they're, they're, something's different about you. You're going through a tough time and you're handling it differently than I would. 
You're not drinking it away. You're not going on a bender. You're not doing the things that you used to do. There's been a change in your life. There's something that's changed you for their reason, for their benefit. They can see that. It's going to make them wonder. Because we know as believers, also for our own benefit, right? There's consequences for those that doesn't please our Heavenly Father. Those are sin issues. Peter, again, leading them on as part of that witness. Now remember, don't forget, don't ever forget, these folks, when they live differently and they're proclaiming Christ, they're risking their life. They're risking persecution. They're, in a way, asking for it to come. He said, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to be that living example. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are dead now, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. I always like what it says here, right? And we've talked about judging, right? The importance of not judging or not expecting non-believers to act like believers, right? We have to be careful. We're not even good at and probably shouldn't judge even believers because we can't see hearts. We can't see motivations. We don't know where people are at. So leave the judging up to God. He's the one that sees. He's the one that knows. He's the one that judges fairly. We also don't have to be worried about them getting their just due or those people who maybe have persecuted us, that they're going to get their day. That revenge, that's up to God. We don't, have to, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to be that tool or that instrument. Because guess what? We're not going to do it well. Right? Chris wasn't called to punch back Muhammad. Right? To pay back for the punch in the cheek. Twice. Wasn't his job. Wasn't his, his thing. Wasn't his thing to do. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. The end. The end he's talking about is the coming of Jesus. Heaven. It's coming. Again, there's that expectancy that it's going to happen soon. It should be a motivator for us. We need to, this morning about sharing the gospel, we need to be proactive. We need to be ready to do that. We need to pursue that. Because guess what? The end is near. We may not get another chance. We may not get a chance anytime soon. That person may never hear. EJ shared the, one of the core values of the Alliance. That's one of the things we love about the Alliance. But again, it's just coming out of Scripture that God's commanded us to do that. But the end is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-control so that you can pray. Right? Be clear-headed. Right? It's kind of almost the opposite of that drunkenness and that carousing around. And in that, he says, no, you need to be clear-minded, self-controlled. Interesting that word pray here, too, so that you can pray. Right? We bathe everything in prayer. Prayer is essential. We need that. Prayer also helps us line our lives up with God. The Greek word in this, this pray is a general prayer. It's not, not any particular form of prayer. It's a general meaning of prayer. So like in all of our prayers, we need to be this way. We need to be clear-minded. We need to be self-controlled. We need to be diligent about praying. 
whether it's praying for opportunities, praying for things we need, we need to be clear-minded. It's going to help our prayer life. It's going to be part of that. Verse 8. We're getting there. I told you we're only going to do 11 this morning, but there's a lot here. There's a lot you can pick from this. I hope that you go back this week and read it over because there's just so much here in, in just a short amount of verses that you could, you could pull from and apply. But verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. All right? There's a sermon all in that one verse, but again, I'm trying to keep us going here and working through it. It says, above all else, Peter's saying, hey, love, love covers that. We've talked about love, right? If you don't know the definition of love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is kind. Love is patient. It's not selfish. It's not rude, right? And that's in the brotherhood. That's how we're to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is it covers a multitude of sins. I think Peter puts that in there, that, that, that sin part, because Part of that, part of that love is being willing to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. And I run into so many times, even among believers, that we have conflicts, we have issues in our lives because we have not forgiven someone for something they've done to us. Right? We walk around with that unforgiveness. If you've been here long enough, you remember my, and despite illustration, right? But we talked about unforgiveness and what that does. And despite what people say, time does not help. It just grows, it becomes bigger, it becomes, gets in our way. But love is the opposite of that. That being willing to forgive. Even if they don't seem remorseful, even if they don't seem like they are asking for forgiveness, maybe they're not asking for forgiveness. But I need to forgive, because I've been forgiven much. And so love covers that, that's all part of that. It's part of that relationship. Again, that's part of acting differently as believers, not taking our salvation for granted. Verse 9, offer hospitality to, any, uh, to one another without grumbling. Culturally, hospitality was a huge deal. Hospitality in that day, you could show up on someone's doorstep, knock on the door, and you would be expected to be welcomed in. Right? I wouldn't suggest trying that now, right? In fact, I even know in our own house, if you knocked on our door, PJ would have the PJ panic just from the fact that there's probably dirty dishes in the sink right now. The dog's probably, you know, hairs everywhere. Uh, it's not picked up. It's not ready for, for company, right? But in that day, it was different. Hospitality, you could show up, and if you showed up later on in the day, you could probably expect a meal. You could expect a bed, stay overnight, and if you needed, maybe even a couple days. Hospitality was part of the culture. Guess what? We've lost that. And Peter here is not just talking to those Jewish believers. He's talking to Gentile believers. And he's saying, hey, not only do I want you to do hospitality, but I want you to do it without grumbling, without complaining. Right? That's a struggle for some of us to do hospitality without complaining, right? Sometimes we don't want people over. Right? If we can just be honest, right? We kind of want our alone time or we don't want to be interrupted. At least I'm guilty. Maybe I'm the only one, and so I'll leave it at that. But no. Hospitality. Hospitality is important. It, it builds relationship. It builds fellowship. It's an encouragement. It can supply a need, which it did in that day. Peter says, if you're going to do it, though, do it without grumbling. 
right, verse 9. Verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. Again, I know I'm I'm stopping on every verse because you know what? They're all packed. Each one. Again, he's talking to believers. Each believer has a gift. And I found at least a gift. I'm going to say that. Because many of us have been given different gifts, multiple gifts, but we've been at least given a gift. And what are we to do with that gift? What's it say? Serve, right? To serve others with that gift. That gift's not given to serve myself. Right? It's not my gift alone. It's not something I hold on to. That gift is so that I may serve others. Oh, if we could just grab a hold of that, right? Think about that in a church setting. If everyone was using their gift that God's given them to serve others according to what God wanted, there would be no openings. There would be no, we, we'd have to work hard at finding things for people to do in some ways. Right? Because all the spots would be filled. Right? A lot of times we underserve. And again, some of that is because of our thinking of service and that gift. We think we're not good enough. We don't have everything that we need. God's given it to us, but we kind of lack the faith in putting it into practice. And if God asks you to do it, God gives you that gift to serve someone else, He's going to equip you to do it. So. Again, camp out on that verse a little bit. I could go more on that, but really, that gift is to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in many forms. And again, the gifts are different. We all don't have the same gift. We don't have 50 preachers here. We don't have 50 teachers here. We don't have 50 servants here. They're all they're different gifts. They're various. They're, they're, they There's lots of them. Be thankful that I don't think I have the gift of singing because that wouldn't be very good up there. It would not be honoring. Some of you have heard me sing, so that's why you're you're giggling. But No, but there's different gifts. And we're to use them and we're to use them to serve the body. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves... He should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Again, he kind of wraps it up and he closes it here. It's almost like a benediction, right? It's the end of it. In fact, I've used that as a benediction. You have to be a certain age to remember what benedictions, right? We used to do it in every church. Bob over there, he smiled, he knows. We used to give benedictions at the end of services. Look what it says here. If you speak, speak as though you're speaking the very words of God. Right? So how am I going to do that? How am I going to speak as though I'm speaking the very words of God? And I need to know God's word. Right? Talking about responses, right? Responses are not always, or probably shouldn't be very often, our opinion. Think about that for a minute. Our response should be, what does God's word say? Think about how many arguments could be avoided if we just use that. Right? You don't want my opinion. You want to know what God's word says on that. 
whether it's finances, whether it's sin issues. What does God's Word say on that? But also, it does a couple of things. One, it puts the authority back into God's Word, obviously, but it also takes me off the hook. Because my opinion about it really doesn't matter. It matters what God says about it. So the argument's not with me, with God's Word. Believe me, I have those things that get asked, those questions, and if I'm prayed up and I'm walking in the Spirit, God says, hey, here's what I said in my Scripture. Here's what, remember what you read over here? This is what I say about that. So what I say, this is what it says about drinking or homosexuality or same-sex marriage or you list whatever it is, the things that are current in our culture. What does God's word say about it? And stand on those, not on our opinions. So that's just in our word and our speech. It says if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provided. Right? Does anyone ever get tired? Yeah. <laughs> Dave Wonders is back there raising two hands. Yeah, we get tired. Right? We don't think we have the strength to serve. Or we're, we're feeling, I hear this in Christian circles a lot, I'm feeling burnt out. I've got too much going on in my life. And, and you know what? Probably it's because we're doing things that God's not asked us to do. Right? If God calls us to do it, he's going to give us the strength to do it. I know in my own life, my problem is I add things to Charlie list. I had things that God didn't ask me to do. And so I'm running around like a nut and I'm getting tired out and I don't feel like I have the strength to do what God's asked me to do, but it's because, not because God's not giving me the strength, but because I'm doing the wrong things. So that's part of that as well. Again, Peter's encouraging them. So strengthen yourself because God's going to provide that strength. And then I love how he wraps this whole thing up and how we're going to end it here this morning, but to whose glory is it to? Who's the one that does all this work? Who's the one that gives us the gifts? You know, I don't ask many rhetorical questions. Come on, I'm looking for a response. <laughs> Who gets praised in this? God, Jesus, right? Yes, right? We praise God for that. God's the one that does the work. God's the one that shines through. God's the one that's given his, us his word. He's given us the ability. He's given us the gift that we need, Right? It's not about Charlie Bolstridge. It's not about any one person, right? It's about God. It should be to his glory, his praise. In fact, if you look through Scripture, whenever someone else has tried to take credit for what God's done, it's never worked out very well. It's ended very badly for that person. God has a way of humbling us very quickly. He's a jealous God. He wants to get the credit. He wants to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. So I got a couple of questions just to leave you with this morning. Should you be surprised by suffering? Should you be surprised by suffering? As believers, we need to be more loving, show more hospitality, and we need to use our gifts. We need to speak the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. And we need to live differently in a culture that is working against us. And it may, and most likely will, cause us suffering. Bow with me, please. Oh, Heavenly Father, as it seems like a tall order to follow, 
Your word says it. It said it here this morning that you give us the strength. Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us exactly what we need to do your will. Convict us those times that we need conviction. Encourage, encourage us those times that we need to be encouraged. Lord, give us the love to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who may hurt us and do wrong against us. Lord, I also pray that you help us to respond in a Christ-like manner. That you continue to do that work in our lives that we reflect you so that you may be praised. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.